Welcome to the RAQA Cafe, a conversational podcast with a couple of hosts that spend each episode talking about regulatory affairs and quality assurance topics. NAMSA is happy to bring the RAQA Cafe to you, where each episode features NAMSA consultants and their experiences. Be sure to visit NAMSA at namsa.com for more information and access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to the RAQA Cafe, a NAMSA MedTech podcast. This podcast, we are talking with Dr. Naveen Agarwal on the topic of risk management. We've broken this podcast into two parts. The first part of this discussion, we'll be having a conversation on how to develop a risk management system. For the second part, we'll continue the conversation with Naveen and talk about the responsibilities for maintaining a risk management system. Dr. Agarwal is the principal and founder of Creative Analytics Solutions and formerly worked as a senior product quality manager and principal engineer for Johnson & Johnson for over a decade. Naveen is a strong voice in the risk management community and currently runs a LinkedIn discussion on the topic called Let's Talk Risk. We are really excited to have our first guest from outside of NAMSA to sit down and have a conversation with us on the RAQA Cafe. Hey, Rich, we're back again for another episode of the RAQA Cafe. This is the first time we have a guest that's outside of NAMSA. And I want to say I'm very happy and excited for two reasons. I have known a few of my colleagues that already follow this person on LinkedIn. So he has a very large following. But also, for most importantly, we get to talk about a topic that's near and dear to you, right? Risk management. Um, yes. So I want you to like introduce our guests and let us know what are we in for today? What are we going to be learning about today, Rich? We're going to be talking about risk management. <laughs> I mean, I bring it up every podcast anyway, but today we're focused on risk management. And I don't know how I got to this pathway of falling in love with this part of medical device manufacturing, but it's, it's definitely my passion. And, and like you said, I, our guest, Dr. Naveen Ag- Agarwal, sorry, I knew it in Agarwal and now I've got to repronounce that. So I apologize. And so, Naveen, I've been following you for for many months, but I just started attending some of the things that you're doing through LinkedIn. And I love, love how you're bringing a group of individuals that are interested in risk together to talk about it on a regular basis. It just can't do anything but make our industry and occupations better. So, Naveen, please introduce yourself. Tell us what you do and how you're becoming internet famous. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say that, but thank you for uh, this opportunity, guys. I'm so excited to connect with you, Lynn and Rich. Like you said, we just got connected only recently, and that's the power of LinkedIn, right? It's the power of LinkedIn where we can, when we open ourselves right, in a transparent and honest way, people come to us. We connect with each other, right? So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of really who I am as a person, that's, of course, a very big philosophical question, right? But let me start by just telling you that my view on how I like to present myself is that as a curious learner, I like to call myself a knowledge sharer more than anything else, because this is what defines me. What defines me is like this thirst for continual learning and engaging with people to improve our own understanding. Why? But why? Learning not for the sake of learning, but for the purpose of helping solve big problems. Right? And all of us work very hard in our industry blood, sweat, and tears, and getting these products out and saving lives, I want to do my part in helping people 
to risk management in a way that makes it easy and effective at the same time. Great. Yes. Uh, and, and the whole point is conversation, really. And that's what I like to call my Friday LinkedIn events as conversations, not a podcast or a webinar, because I want people to participate. So I think that's what I like to do. And I really like to focus on understanding a topic that we can talk about in a simple way. Right? That's the whole point. That's it's a great forum. Sorry, Lynn, yeah, go ahead. That is deep. And for our audience that's listening, he's the host of the Let Us Talk Risk, right? I guess he says conversation. I'm going to use that phrase. But again, thank you for joining. And the only other question I had is, how did you get involved with risk management or risk? I, hopefully that's not a fit, like a philosophical question. I said it incorrectly, but how did you get involved with like risk? Actually, almost by accident. So I'm an engineer by training, and I did product development hands-on for more than 10 years in different industries, even outside medical devices. And I was doing product development. And actually, in fact, if you think about it, product developers and engineers are constantly thinking about what can go wrong and how to fix it. So without doing this formal quote-unquote risk management, they are actually thinking about risks all the time. But risk management, as we know in our industry in a very formal way, I became familiar with that almost by accident where my organization, about 10, 15 years ago now, decided to bring technical people into the quality organization because they felt that there was too much focus on compliance and not as much on problem solving and patient experience. That's when I started learning about all the quality system regulations and requirements and risk management, 14971. And I was overwhelmed. I was literally overwhelmed because it was just too much and very confusing to me. But I really got to practice by building a post-market safety surveillance from scratch. They asked me to do that as one of my first projects where I built about you know, more than 10. We, we talk about post-market surveillance now quite a lot, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. of UMDR, it has become certainly a very big thing. But we did that many, many years ago and built it from scratch. That's when I learned about what it means to do risk management. And I tell you, honestly, I didn't know anything about it until I started working with physicians and surgeons in a collaborative way while doing risk management. That's when I learned about risk. So my introduction to risk management was very by accident, but when I decided to start my own consulting about five years ago, that's what I decided to focus on because I felt this kind of cross-functional view and experience that I had developed could be of use to people. Mm-hmm. That's what I do even today by looking at things in a much more holistic way. I mean, right. Linford, that's the thing about risk management is that there's not like a degree that you can go out and get. Right. You know, it's not like, I mean, at least there's now regulatory degrees. You're starting to see some people offer up quality management degrees and things like that. But I don't think there's anybody that comes into our industry right now saying, hey, I'm going to do risk management for medical devices. I mean, there might be a few, but they're definitely the minority. And it's kind of, to me, it's almost kind of a benefit in that then you get people into our industry doing medical device manufacturing, and then the ones that really get risk management enjoy it, and then they work with their companies and and you know and get risk integrated into making safe and effective product. It yeah. sounds like Rich, you also yeah. fell in into this as well. Well, you know, I mean, my original background was in fish reproductive behavior, so. Uh, you know, from that to risk management, I'm sure was a straight pathway, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it all began with, uh, I came into quality in medical device manufacturing and then 
started working on product development, started working with engineers, and and then they introduced me to this thing called a, a FEMA. And and I looked at it, and I'm like, wow, this makes a lot of sense to me. I love the way it's it's written down and it shows how you go from here's what our product is theoretically to here are the things that we need to do to prove that it does what we want it to do. And and then, you know, of course, you know, the, the FEMA is like probably the intro tool into risk management. And then you learn about the entire system. And fortunately, through my career, you know, I got to be involved with the standard development, um, going to the, the Amy working groups and just being in the room with, with the people who really understand the philosophy behind risk management. And don't feel terrible about saying philosophical because that's my most mispronounced word, Linford. So, um, <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. So, uh, I have to but think it before I say it. So, <laughs> yeah, not to cut you off, but you mentioned that FEMA, right? Or, yeah, MA. What does that stand for again? So, failure modes and effects, effects analysis. analysis. Right. Yeah, I just want to make sure that our audience, you know, we yeah, these right. You always give right. me the acronyms. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, it was something that just clicked for me and I loved how risk management connects everything together. And so, you know, today we're going to talk about two parts, right? And we'll probably break this up into a couple podcasts. But the first part is we're going to talk with Naveen about how do you make a risk management system? So for any of the listeners in there are startups or developing a quality system, you know, risk management is part of a successful quality management system and an integral component of product development. And then later on, we're going to switch over to talking about painting risk management, because I think that is a major issue that I deal with on a regular basis is that, yeah, it's difficult to set up a risk management system, but if you're not thinking about how you're going to maintain it in the future, you're setting yourself up for failure. And it's really the maintenance part of it, which is the time-consuming a component, but also the rewarding part that if you do, a, if you're managing a good risk management system, you're managing a good product and you're making sure that it's constantly, you know, developing and, and maintaining safe product on the market. Yeah. So. And that's, yeah, that really is the goal for our podcast. Um, I guess the, the first one of it or part one and part two, but Naveen, you, you mentioned something, you said how you really got involved with risk management by doing it or developing it on your own, right? So one of the first questions we have is, does scale matter, large or small? Meaning that if I'm a small startup, do I need a risk management system versus let's say a Medtronic or a J&J, we expect them to have it. So does scale matter or does everyone have to have a risk management system? Yeah, Linford, my view on this is that, um, you know, sometimes we, we get into this feeling that if you're a small startup or something, we could maybe do a mini version or maybe not do it at all. So the first question I like to ask is, why should we do it? Why should we do risk management in the first place? Do we have a good understanding of that? Now, it might sound like a very simple, silly question, because you'll say, of course, we should do risk management. But why? So whether you are a small organization or a large organization, the bottom line, in my view, is same. You've got to have safe and effective products in the marketplace. And how do you show that they are safe and effective? Simple. Benefits must outweigh. The residual risk. So whether you want to uh, have a small system in place or a large system in place, you have to answer that question to be able to do business if you want to make a medical device. And I like to kind of not get stuck on terminology because I feel like 
by calling something a risk management system, we are otherizing it. It is not a quality management system, it is something else. Whereas in my view, it is actually a way of doing business to achieve the result that we want and get permission to play in the marketplace. So before we address the question of scalability, and I do want to talk about how to do it in a small organization or a startup organization and how to do it in a big one. But I think it's probably best to, uh, and I would love to hear from you, Richard, as well, what are, what are your thoughts on this, is let's set the kind of, set a common understanding of why we want to do it in the first place. Yeah. I- I struggle a lot. Well, no, I don't struggle. But one of the challenges for risk management is scalability. That, you know, if you're developing a quality system and a risk management system for a small startup company that might only have five or six employees, you got to be very careful in the details and, and the, I don't want to say expectations, but the, you want to make the system as straightforward as possible because got to set them up for success, right? If you give them a Medtronic level or a J&J level, you know, risk management system, you're just not going to have the bandwidth to maintain it. But also, you know, small startups usually only have, you know, maybe one product. And so with the smaller groups, I'm more focused in on how they create that first risk management file Mm -hmm. um, and getting them set up for that. And then once we get them over to that hump, once they have a risk management file in place, then I start to work with them on, okay, here are the things that once your product launches, you've got to maintain. But so I actually will set them up with a risk management system that's focused on the products that they're developing and then transition them over to a post-market world. But I mean, again, like you said, at the end of the day, the whole goal of risk management is making a safe and effective product for patient safety. So the end goal is always the same, regardless of the size of the company. But there are different challenges for a small startup versus you know, an established yeah. manufacturer. I think what I would like to kind of clarify a little bit on that is that risk management system is not documentation. So let me just call out the elephant in the room here, because we tend to think that risk management system is a bunch of papers and files that we need to show. And we don't need to have a whole lot of documentation. Well, if you look at really and let's talk about 14971, for example. Clause four is what where we talk about risk management system. And it has very simple components, right? So make sure you have a process in place. Make sure you have management responsibility defined. Make sure you have competent people. And even if you have four or five people, I'm sure they're pretty good, right? Make sure you have everything. Then we talk about how we're going to document our risk management plan and risk management file. So I have had this kind of feeling whenever I talk to people about risk management, that we start to just talk about what we must document. And I just wanted to clarify that in my mind, that's really the kind of output. It's not the main thing that I focus on when we talk about risk management system. I hope that makes sense. That's an excellent point. And something that I also like to preach is that, you know, you don't want the risk management system or the risk management file to be a paper exercise. If all you're doing is documenting and it's not part of the process of, you know, sitting down, identifying, characterizing your product from a safety standpoint, and then identifying the hazards that could be associated with the product. And then what are the harms that come from those hazards? If you're not having that discussion as you're developing your product, then you're really opening yourself up for for unknown risks that you're going to encounter when you release the product. So you're right. So you know, and and so you're right. It's it's not 
paper exercise. It's a process. It should be integrated all your steps and it should be integrated completely into your quality system. Yeah, and I think you, you mentioned the point about the small startup environment. And actually, I've had this topic of conversation in my Friday discussions. How to use a risk-based approach to creating processes and systems. I've had lovely conversations of people who have actually done that in that environment. That's great. And yes. And in fact, the recordings of those conversations are available on my newsletter. For your viewers, I can share the link. I think the first conversation we need to have as risk, I call myself a risk practitioner. So as risk practitioners, the first conversation we need to have is creating a common understanding of what we are trying to accomplish. Not because it is required or it is expected. Let's put that aside for a while. But work with the leadership team, and it should be easy in a small startup, understanding business goals, understanding their views, and internalizing that amongst ourselves to figure out how best to achieve those goals. And we know very well that there are regulatory requirements specific to pre-market submissions when it comes to risk management. That's our job to figure it out what needs to be done and how it should be done to meet the business goals. But I think we can take our role as encouraging this discussion about a common understanding of the why, not because it is a paper exercise, as you mentioned, which everyone would say, oh, you know, I don't have time for that. Can you just do it quickly and make a file that we can show and pass the inquiry? If we promote that mindset, I think that's what we will get. But if we ask the question, guys, do we understand why we are doing it? Why should we do it? What will it take for us to make a safe and effective product? And I'm, I'm willing to guarantee that if you ask any kind of founder of a startup company or an engineer working in that company, whether the product should be safe and effective, the answer should be yes, absolutely a yes. We don't want to go to a market with an inferior product that doesn't work very well. And we definitely don't want to harm our patients. Yep. If that is the intent, it's our job to figure out how best to do it efficiently. And whether it's a small company or a large company, I think that is the same conversation. So I don't get hung up on really a mini version or a medium version or a full-scale version for a large company. Uh, to me, the question is, as a team, do we really understand why we are doing So you raise a good point. So that talks about like the culture, right? Like a culture mindset. Do we have like a mindset for like quality? or understanding risk, right? So then if we have that mindset, is that where we start or is it, do we understand our product and then we try to work through, like Rich mentioned, right? What are those risks associated with the product? How do we keep something safe and effective for the end user? Just, I'm just trying to understand. So you talked yeah. about the mindset right now. Is that a starting point or do we, is there like another step that we take? Yeah, I, I would say it's not sequential in my mind. And again, it depends upon the environment you are working in. These things have to, have to work in parallel. So I'll give you an example of you know, one of my experiences I've had recently where I was called in to help a very large company integrate two different risk management systems, one coming from an acquired company and one of their own. Right? So already a very established, mature organization. They understand what needs to be done, how it needs to be done. And uh, the very first time I had a conversation with them, somebody made a comment, oh, you know, uh, we have never had a problem with our risk management system because we have been audited for 10 years and there have been no findings. Now, of course, I'm kind of outsider, right? And when I hear a comment like that, immediately in my mind, I have to say to myself, I have two jobs. The first job is to make sure that what they're asking for, we deliver quickly. 
under budget, which is always heavy my goal. And the second job is to plant the seeds for a conversation where, for a conversation that could happen about the culture and the safety mindset. So we have to do both. I don't think we have to start with one and do the other. Mm-hmm. We have to do both and we have to do them all the time together, simultaneously, one after the other. And if we are working within a company as a risk practitioner and we are truly passionate about this, I believe it's a leadership opportunity because that is where you can say, tell your, you know, convince your organization that this is a topic of, that this should be a matter of our, our culture, our identity, how we perceive risk, how we talk about our patients. It is not something to be done because a hey, 14971 requires it. So I hope that kind of clarifies what I think uh, about risk management system as a whole. But to me, promoting that conversation in parallel while we do the work is very important. No, it, it makes sense to me. My background, like a large organization, they seem to be a lot focused more on quality, meaning that they want to make sure at every level, every person understands why they're doing the work, what is the reason for doing the work. But at the same time, with regulatory, we always like documentation, right? If it's not written down, it wasn't done, right? So. We always want to see the end goal to it. But if something that's done in parallel, Rich, I asked this question to you, right? What are some problems you have encountered or you've seen if someone doesn't start with that mindset to begin with, where we see it as a paper exercise, there's a, it's, it's, a, it's kind of like a checklist, right? What are some problems you have, you have seen from, I guess, your work? Yeah, today? I mean, boy, that, there's a huge list. You know, first off and foremost, you're going to miss out on important risk controls that you're going to need for your product, whether from information that's going into your into your IFUs or user manuals, whether it's quality control checks that you should probably have in place before you release product, to even you know properly setting up your complaint management system to be able to intake information once your product goes out. I mean, and, and and that's just three that I think of off the top of my head. But if you're not thinking about risk, then you can't properly control your manufacturing, your users, or your design, you know, to hit the three heads of uh, what risk management should be helping out with. So I was going to ask you, Linford, honestly, I, I mean, I'm very curious from a regulatory perspective, how does either a good or a bad risk management system affect your role in regulatory and submissions and product maintenance? So it's interesting. Something that was mentioned recently said that how, you know, if we have a good risk practitioner, right, we understand what's needed for our product. And I think for reg, what happens is a lot of that burden falls on us where we get asked a question, what are we missing? Why didn't we think of this before? Because typically what happens when you get to reg, you get to the point where we're asking for this documentation. You know, how can you prove this is safe and effective? So we've done some bench testing. We've maybe done some like animal testing, right? We have a, like our design is locked and it's frozen. But if you say, you know, I do not see, for example, where we have accounted for shipping, right? Like if this thing is not shipped correctly, what are some of the risks that are associated with this product? And the question we get asked is, why didn't you tell us this six months ago or five months ago, right? Um, so to your question, Rich, right, if you have something that's not properly thought out, we get the burden placed on us and not telling our team fast enough, right? Because we now become that risk, that risk practitioner in a sense where 
we have to understand how this product works, but we have to do it way in advance. But if it's done properly, then for us, it's really, we have everything lined up. We might get some additional questions either from a reviewer, right? And we're able to answer those questions because we have the documentation in place, right? We have a way to say we have considered this concern or this risk that you may have. We have done some testing or we have documentation that proves that it's been addressed. So all that to be said, Rich, if it's done well, it's less on us when it comes to a submission. Everything mm-hmm. is really neatly tied up. If it's not done well, then we, we get asked a lot of questions of why we did not think of this ahead of time. And Dr. Naveen, I don't know if that's what you've seen in your field of work, but that's just how I've seen it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I would say that your comment about if it's done well, right? I think we need to explore that a little bit more to understand what we mean by if it's done well. And if you look at, I mean, I look at, I've read ISO 14971 hundreds of times, uh, the guidance TI 24971 many, many times. It doesn't start, it doesn't say that the risk management starts with an FNA. It doesn't, right? It doesn't say that. It says that it starts with First, creating a policy for risk acceptability. If your management is not clearly giving you direction about what will be the way you will understand risks and accept them, then we are just doing this mechanical paperwork, right? It starts with understanding intended use and reasonably foreseeable misuse. If we are not sitting down early in the development before design inputs are finalized, if we are not doing that, then we are not doing risk management work. Yep, yep. It starts with characteristics related to safety that should feed into design inputs almost directly. So here's what I would like to see if you are in regulatory affairs. Go to design reviews, especially the design input design review, before it's finalized, and convince yourself that the appropriate design inputs, including those relevant to safety, have been captured. Then you will not suffer in that. That's the way I look at it. Yep. We always suffer. I'm sorry. That's that's (laughs) right. We always suffer. (laughs) Yeah, you know, in a, in a perfect world, Linford, I would love to see a system where, you know, we we hand you, here's all the information for the submission, and all you got to do is send it, wait for the feedback from the FDA, rather than uh, being the, the official cat herder where, hey, we're ready to send this product, and then you look, and there's 12 things missing, and <laughs> we'll get you there, though. We'll get you there. And I, I will say, too, right, it, it really depends on the company. So for larger companies, we do have regulatory sit-in in that, let's say, zero, right? Where they do understand the intended use, right? How you want this product to work. But sometimes I want to say, depending on like a smaller company or they're really starting out into the medical field, that's not really where you see a tend like a regulatory gets an opportunity to like sit in. It's Mm -hmm. usually someone has an idea. We've spoken with this engineer and we need regulatory come in, right? So I hope whoever's listening to this really takes what Dr. Naveen is saying and really invite us early on into the process because it really does help. But sometimes it just depends where you are or how you decide to address whatever product you're trying to bring to the market. So I, I think good good break for a moment to then, you know, let's transition and start talking about maintenance of risk management, which of post-market is a major component of. And like you said, you know, now with the MDR, its weight around, it's really drawn focus to the importance of collection of information after your product's gone out to the wild. So, you know, in, in my background in risk management, 
there seem to be two buckets of requests. So can you develop a risk management system for me? That's what we just basically talked about on a high level. And then the second part is I've got a risk management system that's out of control. Can you uh, help me figure out what I need to do to get it fixed? And that is honestly the more expensive project, you know, because then you're not only fixing the existing system, but two, you're focusing on finding all the evidence to support either what already exists or what you're going to help them redevelop. So I know, Linford, your your favorite question is is green flags. I'm going to focus on red flags here a little bit, but, uh, you know, Naveen, in your background, what would you say are some of the common mistakes you see companies or clients make with managing a risk management system? I think the number one, uh, I would say, mistake people make is that they think of it as something separate, something, a standalone entity that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Mindset, I want to come back to it again and again. If we consider risk management as something else that needs to be done, in addition to everything else we are doing, we will always treat this as, as something that we should not spend too much time and do as little as possible. So th th that's an, it's sort of an approach issue. Like, how do we actually consider risk? And I, I think to some extent, we have confused the terminology in our industry practice by calling it risk management. 4971 is not a management standard. It is not a management standard. 3485 is a management standard, right? Expand so, on this. I'm really curious where you're going with this. Okay. So I, first of all, I'm not a part of standards committee. I'm, okay. I've not been involved in that, but whatever I have, whatever I have heard and researched, it is not considered to be a management standard. It is a sort of a process standard. This is how risk should be done. Now, the reason why clause four in my understanding is there in 4971 is because those companies who don't have a formal quality management system must at the very least pay attention to management responsibility and requirement of competent person because we don't want to leave it out, right? So if we treat 1345, 14971QSR as kind of separate entities that need to be satisfied, like maybe one team is working in one area, another team is working in another area, we'll always consider risk management as like an add-on activity, something we need to do to begin with and to maintain it as on and on basis. So I like to flip the question around and say, how do we maintain a system, an effective system that helps us ensure safety and effectiveness of our product on an ongoing basis throughout the product lifecycle? That's how I would look at it. So that's a primary mistake I think I want to highlight. I, I know I can go into a lot of detail about some of the major barriers people have, but mm -hmm. I'm going to emphasize that for your listeners to really take a step back and ask the question, what it is that we are trying to do. See, this I really focused in on this because I actually have kind of a different perspective and that I always have thought that by nature, humans are always thinking about risk, that we're, we're constantly making decisions based on the risks of the either the action or the consequences. I tend to be terrible at understanding the consequences from a personal perspective, from, but from... <laughs> <laughs> but, but from, a, from a professional perspective, I'm very good at it. But um, I've always kind of said, you know, we're always looking and thinking about risk. But what a risk management system does is help you document it. And so and then it, and it helps you think of it more thoroughly. So 
I mean, I think we're kind of saying the same thing, but I, I've, I guess, you know, whenever I've worked with people, they're always thinking about how to make the product do what it's supposed to do and, and how to protect the patient, but they're not necessarily looking at it completely and systemically. And sometimes they're doing a really poor job of writing down what they've actually done to make a safe and effective product. So, I, I mean, I obviously at the end of the day, the risk management systems functions from both perspectives. And the one, it helps people think about what they need to do for a safe and effective product. I keep saying that phrase, but it's critical. But it also helps them come up with a method to properly document what they're doing so that all their good practices are being recorded and not being lost. Because like Linford said, if, it, if it's not written down, it hasn't been done. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm not, I don't disagree with you at all. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't think we disagree. We just It's just slightly tweaks on, on the perspective. I just don't want people to think that, hey, I had to do an FME as part of my design history file. Now I also have right. to do something else because I need to have a risk management system in place. Yep. That's what I'm trying to emphasize is that do the right things well, you know, have good documentation practices. And I'm an engineer, I can tell you this, that any good engineer is really very, very careful about documenting everything they do in a way that may not be like, you know, conforming to all the standard GDP practices, but they do capture their thoughts in a good way. I'll share with you very, very quickly my first story. As soon as I graduated from grad school, the first job I got, the number one thing they gave me was a big notebook. Oh, really? Notebook and said, we want you to write down everything that you do. And at the end of the day, dock it in our fireproof cabinet, because that's the most important thing. What a great start. So that's good. Right? You got a great first experience. So what I'm saying is that I think engineers uh, are very, very careful and interested in capturing their knowledge and decisions. We have to figure out in our quality regulatory world, we have to figure out how we can help them do it now and easily without creating an extra burden because we need to have code and code documentation. So I think we can leverage technology, right? We can mm -hmm. use creative ways of capturing all the key decisions, make trade-offs made in the, in the decision-making process during development, because that will come in handy in managing post-market issues. Oh, right? sorry, go ahead and finish. No, I was gonna finish by saying that we have to find creative ways of facilitating that sort of capturing of knowledge and uh, not really make it so difficult, so burdensome. We consider this as something additional activity I have to do because risk management must be done. Yep. I'm going to play back this segment to my youngest son after we're done with this podcast and he gets home because he, uh, he's on a robotics team. He's in sixth grade. And I think it's awesome that his school system does this. But one of the when they go off to do their competitions, one of the things that they have to do is they have to turn in their engineering notebook. And the better organized and the better documented it is, the more points their team gets in the competition. And um, he did it for the first time last year. And um, I think the notebook was a was an afterthought. So uh, I'm going to play this back to him and say, hey, look, you know, here's an expert in our field. And he said, you need a notebook. <laughs> <laughs> and you need to write in it. <laughs> but I've seen this. That was what I'm dating myself now, close to 30 years ago. The world has changed. There are many, many ways in which we can help engineers and practitioners, even medical clinical experts, capture their ideas and key decisions mm -hmm. so that we can use them in the future. Linford, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was actually going to build on what he was asking before. Like, 
documentation or using technology. But I was just trying to make sure we understand. So if we have this culture of risk management, right, of understanding risks, like something that we do throughout, the question I was going to ask was, when do we get to the point of showing our work or like documenting something, right? Is that, in your estimation, is that a step or that should already be captured throughout the process? So all we're doing is going back to the files and say, hey, we discussed these risks or we talked about this avenue. Here is where it's written down. We're going to extract it for whatever we needs are. So let's say from a regulatory submission point of view, right? And then we just keep going with that process. It, I'm trying to make sure I understand like your thought process. Like there's no really like a little check or like a check box or a check system. If everything is done correctly, all we're doing is just going back to the files we have and everything should be there. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, there should be a best practice is to follow the state gate process, right? To new new product development. And every gate that you come across should have its deliverables. Those deliverables should include some kind of a report, whether it's a written report or some other report that captures key decisions made, key assumptions made, and what else needs to be done. So I see this as like, again, in my mind, sort of an ongoing parallel effort with specified deliverables in advance that should help you build a story together when you are going to pre-market submission. It should not be as if we are making a checklist of this should be done, that that should be done, but more like understanding what is the code deliverable of every gate that we pass this product through. Okay. Right? And one of that code deliverable and, and you can see, you, you can notice that I don't use the word documentation in my conversation at all. Yeah, you don't. But personally, I don't like that word. Mm-hmm. I don't like it because the mindset that we have promoted by calling documentation is that something needs to be done on top of what we are doing. I think we need to make it part of a natural work process to capture knowledge, information generated, and key decisions made and the assumptions made because no decision is perfect. There are a lot of trade-offs being made. Yeah. It's up to us to decide how we capture that information to produce it. And what is pre-market submission? You're building a story with evidence, with documented evidence, right? Yes. And people can understand in a clear way that, yes, safety and effectiveness has been demonstrated. So I like to see this as more of a sort of a way to do our work. Our work culture has to change. Mm-hmm. Our mindset has to change to deliver mm-hmm. to you as a regulatory professional. All the inputs you need. I think your process needs input. So I think you could define what are the inputs my process needs, not pieces of paper. Your process needs inputs that allow you to make a package, a story that you will communicate to the regulatory professionals. And then you decide how those inputs should be delivered to you, by whom, at what point of time. But if you make this as part of our sort of work culture, we will go away from this mentality that someone has to deliver a kind of written report or something else to you. If that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. That's why I was trying to make sure that, that that came across clear for our listeners. So then to go back now, you talked about now we have to use technology, right? You talked about having a notebook 30 years ago. Oh, no. When I started working, <laughs> I, started working I, I was still the same thing, document um, as well. Now, recently, AI been the talk of the town, right? I want to make sure I understand when you say use technology, what are you thinking about? Because because AI is what comes to mind as the first thing you know I would think about personally. But what when you say use technology, is there some examples that you could expand upon? Okay. So by technology, what I meant to say was pen and paper was just one of the ways to capture knowledge and information long time ago. 
we have many, many more different ways of capturing information. Right now, what you're doing is actually capturing knowledge through this conversation. You will probably edit this and produce it to share with your listeners. This is a use of technology. Mm -hmm. it, it's not about how you deploy it, right? In a work environment, here it's not about how to deploy it, but you have tools available to you now that were not there before. You have a computer in the palm of your hand that can gather a lot of information through photos, videos, voice. There's no reason why we couldn't be generating a lot of what I call raw information in multiple formats, which can be synthesized. And now you can deploy AI to give you a beautiful report that you want. Why would you want a human being sitting behind a computer typing away furiously for hours and hours to write a report in a very strict format, proofread it two, three times, and waste all that time? Just an example. I'm not saying go run out and do this. Mm -hmm. You have to be smart about how you deploy so that right. yep. data integrity is not lost, it's traceable. Those are the challenges on us. But pen and paper is no longer the only way of capturing information. Yeah, I always find it interesting when uh, you have these older companies where they talk about how their first ideas were written down on table napkins at, yeah. in a diner. And <laughs> yeah, and somebody has framed that, right? Somebody made me yeah. frame it. Right, because yeah. Yep. That's documentation. If you talk about it to me, that, that's documentation. Now, now the brilliant ideas are brought up in podcasts. So let's <laughs> <laughs> take a snapshot and frame this. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the RAQA Cafe podcast on part one on our discussion on risk management with Dr. Naveen Agarwal. Naveen was a great guest and we hope to have him on again. If you enjoyed this discussion, please tune into part two where our discussion continues on the responsibilities of maintaining a risk management system. And if you'd like to hear more podcasts on different topics from the RAQA Cafe, please visit us at www.namsa.com and don't forget to bring your favorite drink.